Judges chapter number 20, if you will. Uh, Judges chapter 20, if you're visiting with us again, thank you for being here. And we're so glad you're here. We know there's a lot of other churches around, and, and we hope you've already found out we're a friendly church. But we're excited about getting to know you and help you on your faith journey. Uh, I want to continue our series in the book of Judges. We've been going verse by verse through it and kind of hit some interesting passages that God put in for a reason. And really, we can see what idolatry, what selfishness, we can see what um, everyone doing right in their own eyes can lead to. Of course, last week was one of the worst possible things that could have happened. And of course, today we'll see how it leads to civil war and how God somehow brings that around uh, to helping turn his people back to him a little bit. And we see God's difficult refining process is what the title of the message is this morning. And once you have found it, if you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet, I'll stretch one last time, but also uh, for the respective reading of God's word. And we'll read just the first six verses this morning. We'll go through many more. Today, for the sake of time, we'll just read the first six. And all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man. It's the first time Israel has really been uh, joined together and in, in unity for the most part, and as of yet, and gathered together as one man from Dan even to Beersheba. Of course, Dan was the farthest north, Beersheba was the farthest south, so really it's just showing the whole, uh, of course, the whole country here, the whole nation is here, uh, with the land of Gilead. Uh, unto the Lord and Mizpeh. Mizpeh was in Benjamin. Of course, it was a little farther north of Gilead and it was a common meeting place here. And the chief of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the Lord of God, the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. Now, the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpeh. Then said the children of Israel, Tell us, how was this wickedness? And the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came unto Gibeah, that belongeth to Benjamin, I and my concubine to lodge. And the men of Gibeah rose against me, and beset the house round about upon me by night, and thought to have slain me. And my concubine have they forced that she is dead. And I took my concubine, and cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly. And Israel, Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we come to you, Lord, once again with a, a troubling passage, even a darker passage, Lord. And, but it shows us that dawn is starting to come. We're thankful for the epilogue of this story, if you will, in Ruth, and how it shows the messianic line and how there is a Redeemer coming. And Lord, of course, has already come for us, but we'll get the opportunity and privilege to be saved by grace. If we accept you as our Savior because of it. Lord, even in this dark, troubled time, may we see maybe a little bit of a similarity in our culture today. But Lord, most importantly, may we see that there is hope and we need a Savior. And we must run to it. We must have a, a walk with you and a talk with you and allow you to change our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts. Be with the children as they're being ministered to in the children's church. Be with the teens as they're being ministered to the junior high and the, children's church, and the teen church. And be with the nursery. Be with all those online watching this morning, Lord, uh, not able to be here in person, but still want to be a part of it. I pray that you'll help them feel that they're loved and cared for and appreciated, and may they hear from you as well. May you stir in our hearts, and may you help us as we seek to come closer to you. May we say no to sin and yes to you. May we open up our heart and allow you to minister to us, Lord. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. There's a story about a young boy who 
a middle-aged boy who spent his beautiful Saturday morning playing video games all day long. His older sister tried coaxing him outside to play with her and, and to no avail. And the little girl piped up to her brother and said, Someday you're going to be 30 years old, single, and living in mom's basement playing video games all day. The boy kind of stood there and kept on playing, and his reply was simply this, I can only dream of that day. (laughs) Though we understand that is not success, if you will, Uh, especially in the eyes of the Lord, you know, we want to be pleasing to him and we want to be serving him. We see kind of that happening in our story this morning. We see a group of people who have kind of uh, manufactured their own worship, they're on idolatry. We see a people who really don't even, they know the name of God by name only. They don't really understand uh, a time with him and a walk with him. Now we see later in scripture that that time does come in this chapter through adverse circumstances. And God uses trials to bring these people back to him. Uh, but we see really a dark and bleak time. Uh, but it's always darkest before the dawn. And we only have a few more chapters here of Judges and then we'll be into Ruth. We'll be able to see God's redemptive work happening. But this morning we want to see God still is alive and well and God is working. But first of all, to get there, we want to see, number one, if you're writing this morning, a united recognition of sin. A united recognition of sin. The Bible says there, then all the children of Israel went out. The congregation was gathered together as one man. And so really the call has gone out to all of the country saying, hey, come, we're going to have a convening, if you will. We're going to have a trial, if you will. Uh, this Levite has gotten all of our attentions. We want to make sure we're not just going to act in rash behavior. We want to hear them out, see what's all going on and how this story really happened. And, of course, the Levite is a star witness. The tribe of Benjamin has been invited, the Bible says in verse number 3, but they did not come. The men of Gibeah did not come to give their side of things. Of course, what could have happened was because the Bible says there was 400,000 footmen there already. And maybe a Gibeah knew or Benjamin knew that there was no sense in even trying to give their side of things, that there was going to be destruction. But as we see later, they should have given their side of things because the Levite, of course, gets up and gives his witness in verse number 5. The Bible says, And the men of Gibeah rose against me, and I beset the house round about me by night. And so if you remember the story from last week, him and his concubine and his servant, they stopped into Gibeah thinking that they could get lodging there. Of course, there was no hotels. There was no Airbnbs, if you will. Uh, there was only at the mercy of if someone would welcome them in. Of course, that was kind of the law. Hospitality was very... That was just a big thing, and you did not turn someone away. They finally get to Gibeah, thinking that they could get some lodging there, because this was Israelites, had not been Canaanized so much. And the Levites' mind, of course, as we see later, it has been, of course, affected by the sons of Belial. But they go to set up camp there in the center of town, and this old man who's from Ephraim sees him and says, Hey, no, 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 you got to come in here. You cannot stay the night. There's some wicked things that happen at night. And so they came in, and while they're there... Uh, of course, the man says, the men of Ephraim, the Levite says. Of course, he's standing on trial. He's, uh, he's uh, in front of all these leaders of Israel. There's 400,000 soldiers that are ready to fight. They have not been ready to defeat Canaan. But when it's their own people, they are ready to go. And, of course, they think they can destroy Benjamin for their sin. And they're there. This Levite gets up. And you see manipulations start to happen. And he starts to tell this story, which is fairly true. 
but he leaves out some key details. He says the men of Benjamin, the men of Gilead, that men there would have been known to the tribes and to the leaders there as the leaders of the city. But that's not what happened. The leaders of the city did not come and beat on his door and try to get him to come out. It was certain sons of Belial, which is known as worthless people. They did some very folly. They did some despicable things, of course, trying to lie with the Levite. Homosexuality, if you will. And, and the Levite glossed over that. And instead of getting the men of Israel to see that, hey, there's certain men that need to be dealt with, he kind of paints a picture as the whole community, the whole area, if you will, needs to be dealt with. And of course, the Levite is vindictive. He is letting resentment, he's letting bitterness fester in there. Lack of forgiveness is starting to push him a little bit and he starts controlling this crowd and with his words in three different areas he paints a picture that is fairly true but not completely accurate instead of a few men being dealt with now this whole tribe is about ready to be come after if you will and it reminds me of Proverbs 18:17 he that is first in his own cause seemeth just but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. So what happens here is a star witness, Levi, if you will, paints this picture exactly like it wants to be painted. Have you ever met anybody that's done that? Twisted a story so that it fits their prerogative exactly right? Not being willing to share exactly the truth, if you will. And he stirs up these 400,000 men even more. Stirs up these leaders even more than he would have had to do. He's clearly manipulating the minds and hearts of these people. By the way, God's word, if they would, by the way, the Levite knew this in Deuteronomy 32, 35, to me, this is God, belongeth vengeance and recompense. The Levite knew this, but yet he wanted to make sure revenge was enacted against the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, these sons of Belial needed to be dealt with, but not everybody there was guilty of that wrong, at least as of right now. And we'll see later how there's more and more people uh, covering up something which shows a different story. But as of right now, he should have practiced Proverbs 24, 28. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. We see this man's deceiving. He's manipulating this Levite, which should have known better. He can tell his side of the story, but he needs to tell it accurately. As a result of inciting his brothers to bloodshed, he will trigger the death of 65,000 fellow Jews, all because of his resentful spirit. May I say this morning, your unforgiving spirit, your heart of bitterness, by the way, we've all dealt with it, including me, can destroy way more than it needs to. Someone said it this way. It's like taking a piece of glass and trying to crush it. It will actually destroy your hand even more. And so bitterness, vindictiveness, manipulation is a very awful thing. And this man is eaten alive with it, if you will. And so we see a joint determination in verse number 8. The people arose as one man and says, Neither will we turn again into our house. We will go up against it. And we see a joint destroying in verse 10. 100,000, 1,000 out of 10,000 to fetch victory for the people that they may do when they come to Gibeah, Benjamin. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. Never before had Israel been so unified. What do you think Samson could have done if everybody had been as unified as they would? Do you think he would have destroyed the Philistines? 
and the Canaanites? I think so. But we see they're even more united against their own people. They're following the law. Deuteronomy 13, verse 12. If thou shalt hear, say in one of my cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell therein, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire and make a search and ask diligently. So they are following the law here. They are following what God would want. They are actually doing the right thing. And behold, if it be truth... And the thing certain that such abominations wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly. They have done their part, but not to the fullest, because the Levite has not shared the whole truth. So as you can see, I do believe that they are trying to do the right thing, or they're manipulating the law on their side, but they are trying to actually follow it at least a little bit. But instead of getting to the source, if you will, They end up destroying so many more people. But may I say today, just as the children of Israel were standing up to sin and getting it wrong, getting the wrong of their life, we too must do the same in ours. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We are called as Christians to get sin out of our life. May we be willing to confess our sin before God. May we be willing to say no to sin and yes to the Savior. Because it will contaminate. It will kill us. Reminds me of years ago, uh, my dad was a produce farmer. And we used to have 50 acres of produce uh, 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 along with the popcorn he would grow. Thousands and thousands of years of corn we'd pick every year. And melons and cucumbers. And then tomatoes. Tomatoes were awful. You know, you had to get all that green stuff on you, you know. And after picking several thousand pounds and about 200 of the rotten ones thrown at you by your brother, you know, I just put a bad taste in my mouth about tomatoes. To this day, I will not eat them. In fact, if one slips on my hamburger without me knowing it, I take a bite, I spit it out. I just can't do it. But anyways, tomatoes would get put in these cardboard boxes and stacked upon each other and we put up 2,000 pounds if you will sometimes on these pallets and we'd take them in and we'd start sorting through them and cleaning them but inevitably if we didn't get to them all maybe over the weekend or something toward the bottom there would always be a box or two that would get all wet and you knew what was happening in there there was a rotten tomato or an overripe tomato that was spreading and inevitably, you get to that box and start picking it out, and you'd see beautiful tomatoes with a little uh, a split in them or a little bit of spots on them, and it was affected because of the one rotten one. And that is what happens in our lives when we're at odds against Christ, when we have sin in our lives. Chances are you'll affect more than just yourself. You'll affect others. You show me someone with a bitter spirit, I'll show you someone who wants to affect as many people as possible with that bitter spirit. You show someone who's critical, I'll show you someone who's going to affect a lot of different people who's critical. Why? It's our sin nature. We must be willing to deal with it. And so these people are willing to deal with it. But it brings us to number two, a negligent society. So what happens here? A negligent society. The Benjamites now get their turn to answer, if you will. The Bible says in verse 12, 
And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is this that is done among you? So now they give the Benjamites an opportunity to speak for themselves, to answer, to give their side of the story. Now therefore deliver us the men, the children of Beliah, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. So somehow the knowledge comes out that it wasn't just the men of Gibeah, the leaders. It was actually sons of Belial. And so the children of Israel, the leaders, come and say, Hey, we know there's sin in the camp. We know there's wrong, despicable. We need to deal with it. Go ahead and turn over these sons of Belial. We, want nothing to, we won't hurt you guys. We're not trying to destroy you guys. We're just trying to get these sons of Belial. But what happens? very interesting thing happens. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. So they would not give these men over, nor would they deal with these men. So in other words, they are becoming part of this sinful problem. So not only will they give up these men, they're now protecting them. They're now enabling these men and perhaps even emboldening them to do even more. They're not willing to address the issue. And so we see in verse number 14, they gather themselves together out of the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. What a sad state, is it not? Finally, the country is unified to get rid of the sin, and one of their tribes will not give it up, nor will they deal with it. So the children of Israel are in a quandary. Of course, now the men are going to go to battle, and so now they're forced into a civil war. Verse 15, the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time of the cities, 26,000 men. So now we see 26,000 men come together, and we have the children of Israel has 400,000. I don't know about you, but that's not very even. Huh? But Benjaminites are not that worried. They really aren't. They're not bothered by it. Why? Well, the Bible says there, uh, beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered 700 chosen men. So we have the black ops, if you will, of Benjamin now come to the pass. And who are these, these uh, Benjaminites? Well, they're chosen men left-handed. We have any left-handers in here today? You know, uh, This is their, your moment to shine, all right? And uh, here we have left-handed. Everyone could sling stones that in hair breath and not miss. So here we have guys that couldn't just throw stones. They could sling them. And they were so accurate, they, were, they could kill up to a hair breadth. And so if you can think with me, if you will, you have Gibeah, which is in the hills of Benjamite country. Uh, of course, uh, if you remember, Jacob prophesied of Benjamin that they are ravenous as a wolf. Okay, they're, they're, they're fighters. They're very strong. Of course, Apostle Paul was a Benjaminite, and that's could have been why he was so ferocious, if you will, before he came to Christ and defeating uh, uh, the Christians there in Jerusalem. But we have here these Benjamites in Gilead, and they're kind of in these hills, and there's these narrow passageways that you've got to get through. There's no way 400,000 people can come through at once. And of course, as we'll see later, Judah was picked first to go through. But these Benjamites are not worried. There are 700 of them that are very accurate. They're left-handers. Of course, if you remember, uh, or you would realize, most Israelites were probably right-handed, so they would hold the shield with their right hand. Therefore, they had a hard time guarding the left side of them, if you will. So these are strategically picked. They, they can whip these stones up to 200 yards and accurate as a hairbreadth. 
Now, 200 yards is two football field lengths. Could you imagine? And one pound rocks at 200 yards, and they say up to 90 mile per hour those rocks would go. That's like a fast pro, professional pro baseball pitcher that could throw these. So these rocks could go up to 200 yards. They would not miss at a hair breath. It was a pound uh, of weight, and it would come soaring out. And by the way, there was no lack of ammunition in those areas because they were in the mountains. There's rocks everywhere. Could you imagine having 700 men whipping these things around and they would let go of the one of the tongs, if you will, at just the right time when that rock would go. And they say, uh, legend has it, that there was actual uh, 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 colonies on islands that they would not allow their children to eat breakfast in the morning until they could knock off the roll, if you will, off the pole. And so as a child, they are getting very good at this. In fact, one commentary said that David and Goliath, David could have been just as accurate and just as powerful with those rocks. Hence why they allowed the children to go and actually protect the sheep and be the shepherd. So, you know, maybe God did. I did believe God guided that stone. But I think maybe David was just that accurate too and that strong. And a rock, he could kill Goliath just like any other man with a one-pound rock on many miles an hour. You can take that for what it's worth. But my whole point is, these Benjaminites were very, very accurate. And they were not so much worried about all these different men of Israel. They are very confident in themselves. They will not deal with the sin in their camp, if you will. May I say, that is what culture has tried to get us to do today, has it not? Isaiah 5, verse 20 it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Isn't that what's happening today? Evil gets mixed with good, light gets mixed with darkness, and then there's just like this weird gray areas all the time. At first they wanted you to just, just allow, accept them. Now they want you to allow Now they want you to embrace it. Now they want your children to do what they do. And so we see here, Paul says that societies is a society that hates good and celebrates evil. Societies in the last days. Paul says in Romans 1.32, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that's what's happening in this culture. The reason why these men maybe didn't want to deal with it is because maybe they were a part of it, or they had embraced it, or they really didn't think it was that bad. There is no clearer indication of moral sickness than when wrongdoing is condoned or even defended on the grounds of family or national solidarity and loyalty. And that's what's happening here. By the way, isn't that happening today in some areas? In fact, in our society, sins are filtered to be acceptable, or at least tolerated. They will call adultery having an affair. Instead of saying homosexuality, they'll say a gay lifestyle. Instead of saying theft at work is acceptable, it's simply the perks of the job. Maybe lies are just white lies. Instead, they'll say the truth is always selective. Or there'll be gangs taken to the streets, looting stores under the guise of social justice, we've seen recent days. The purpose is always the same. What is the purpose? To remove my sense of moral guilt, and so to pretend that if something sounds okay and people feel comfortable with it, that's all that matters. 
And folks, that's not okay. We can't ever get comfortable with sin. We can't ever get accommodating of sin. We can't say, oh, it's okay. No, no, no. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. Though I do believe that we need to speak the truth in love, may we not condone or accept or even congratulate or join arms with those who are living openly in sin. And that is what's happening here. C.H. Spurgeon says, Sin is the mother and nurse of all evil, the egg of all mischief, the fountain of all bitterness, the root of misery. And that's what sin does in our life. And then David Jackman follows up with this, a society that refers to, refuses to accept guilt in the sense of distinguishing right from wrong and punishing the offender will soon prove impossible to govern. That was said many years ago. Isn't that happening today in our culture? So, now we see how sin builds upon itself. We see a callousness of a Levite who knows better. We see the sexual licentious of some local hooligans. And now it turns into a full-blown civil war because the lack of transparency of the one who knew better and the pride and lack of willing to deal with sin of the Benjamites. And that's what happens. It brings us to number three if you're writing a nation of self-defense. Reliance, a nation of self-reliance, a nation self-reliance. So we see they, 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 they determined what the sin was. They unified behind that. We see uh, uh, the society, though, says, hey, we're, we're not going to let you deal with it. And so then we see a nation self-reliance. So now the nation says, hey, we're going to do something about this. The problem is they don't go through all the right channels about it, and it causes destruction, but God uses it to humble them to get him where he wants it. So the Bible says in verse 18, And the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now it sounds like these people are where they need to be. They're going to God to ask them. The problem is these guys don't know any more about God than they did before. It reminds me of a story of a company that was making leaflets for a local church. The client wanted a logo designed with earth being shielded by the hand of God. So the company sent the client a proof. Shortly thereafter, they got a call. The client said, the hand looks too human. Please use a hand that looks more like God's. No one knows what God's hand looks like. And that's what's happening here. These people are going to God but they don't truly know or understand what this really is. In fact, if you look at the word God in this verse, it is Elohim, not Yahweh. See, Elohim is a generic word for God, any God. So it simply means these people are approaching and seeking a God, quote-unquote, instead of approaching and seeking the God, quote-unquote. Well, what does God say to this response? Well, first of all, God knows. They don't really want to know. They just, they're not even interested in him saying yes or no. They just want his approval. So God gives them the same answer he gives what the question was in Judges chapter 1 when they first asked, who should go up and fight the Canaanites first? The Bible says in Judges 1 verse 1, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first, to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. 
I have delivered the land into his hand. And that's what God responds to these people. Judah shall go up first. Well, why did he use Judah? Well, Judah is the key. Judah will one day lead Israel in looking forward to the coming monarchy. Of course, we know that one day Judah will lead the people into righteousness because that Jesus, the Messiah, will come out of the lineage of Judah. But that does not mean that God was necessarily giving them victory here. God was saying, hey, why don't you get back to obeying me like you were supposed to years before? So what happens in verse number 19? The children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah, and the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against him at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day 20 and 2,000 men. What in the world happens? They follow God's leading in their minds at least. God said Judah goes up, so Judah goes. They go through that narrow passage. And what happens? Those 700 black ops start getting those slings going and whipping and snorting. And before long, 22,000 are dead just like that. Children of Israel here are surprised. Why in the world did God just let them down? May I say God frustrates plans sometimes to get our attention so we'll stop treating him like a genie. God will oftentimes bring us to a point where we humble ourselves and seek him. Now, why is that? Because our happiness isn't the goal. God's holiness is. In all situations, the Lord's first concern isn't our happiness, but it's our holiness to him. So we see what happens. Children of Israel aren't let down. Judah may be more, but the rest aren't. So they encourage himself. Verse 22 People of men of Israel encourage themselves. And, of course, we see the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord. So now, instead of just asking, quote-unquote, a God what they should do, now they're actually weeping. But they're not weeping because they're remorseful. They're weeping because they're sad they lost some people. And so, instead of inquiring of Yahweh, they're still not truly wanting to know what God wants. And so... As Guzik says, God uses two defeats to humble the whole nation. So they go out again, and they get defeated again. So now they're defeated twice. And they think the tribe of Benjamin have the problem. But God's trying to get them to see that they are also have a problem as well. And I just pause to say this. How oftentimes can we be like the children of Israel? If we could just take care of the sons of Belial... And the Benjaminites in our country, God would bless it once again. But yet we forget that we also have problems, do we not? We are still sinners, saved by grace. What does the Bible say? If my people which are called on my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. So what these children of Israel have failed to do yet has turned from their wicked ways. And God cannot heal their land yet. So we see the society, we see the self-reliance. We see Matthew 7, verse 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? We're hypocrites if if we notice everybody else's problem, but won't address ours. May I encourage us today as Christians to not get so upset at the world that we forget to deal with the sin in our life and truly humble ourselves to God. Reminds me of a story. Years ago, I was invited to a pastor's uh, 
pastor's fellowship in the mountains and uh, cascades there and went south or across from Madeira and went to a little town called Albury, went up into the hills and about that time I lost cell service. So I'm praying, my GPS keeps going, you know. I go from paved road to gravel road to dirt road. I pass this big casino. It's a more of an Indian tribal area. And I, I pulled up to this church, and our church had been doing pretty well. God was blessing, it was growing, um, and we were excited. And, and I pull in there, and I remember my heart saying, why did I just drive two hours to come here? I mean, this church is small, it's a country church, dirt road. This pastor has nothing to help me. I, best, I just better go in there and try to encourage him. I was all high and mighty. I walked in there. And there's a group of pastors, and pastors started preaching out of Psalms, and man, God's power was on him, it was evident. And God used that message to really get to me. Man, I, I, I'll never forget going, a few other preachers preached, and then we had this lunch, just a delicious lunch. The pastor came up to me and said, here, he said, here's some food. He said, uh, I just want to be a blessing to a church planner. And there was a little envelope there with some cash for gas on the way back. And, man, my heart was just <laughs> pierced, you know. I'll never forget walking out of there and thinking, what a loser I am, you know. One of the other pastors that I knew was there, and I says, how long has this guy been here? He goes, let me tell you the story. He used to pastor in the San Diego area. I, I can't remember the exact city. And he had a thriving, growing church. In fact, one of the largest in that area. And God started working on his heart to be a missionary to this Indian tribe up here in the Albury region. And he decided to go to an area that was going to be poor, that was going to be hard, that was going to be dark, and give his life. And he did. And God used him to reach many Indians for Christ. And I couldn't ever, the whole way home, my heart was just worked over. God had humbled me. Here I was all full of myself. And God says, no, no, no. You need to go to that meeting because I need to work on you. I want to encourage you today to not get so full of ourselves that we get so self-reliant. But may we stay humble before our God. Which brings us to number four. Israel's submission. Israel's submission. The Bible says in verse 26, by the way, I'm aware of the time, and I know we're only on verse 26, so don't worry. Okay. We'll get through this. If we don't, we'll come back next week. All right? so. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came into the house of God and wept, sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in, in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go to the battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hands. So what happens here? They return to Bethel once again, not praying to a God, not weeping because they're sad they lost some people. But they're praying to the God. They're worshiping. They're fasting. They're repentant. 
They're begging God. They're going through the high priest who is interceding for them. They're going through all the right channels. And they get to God. Instead of God saying, send up Judah, go again. God says, go up. For the victory's in your hand. It just shows you and me today that there is a right way to get to God. We can try when we want to, when we need Him, try to go to Him. Or we can go through Jesus Christ. We can spend time with Him. We can fast. We can pray. We can worship Him. As we'll see in a little bit, we can get in His Word again. Why? Because if without it, we become self-reliant. May we be a church of people that says, God, I need Thee every hour. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Do you understand today? We need God. And these people finally realized we've got to have God on our side. 400,000 means nothing to 26,000 if we cannot have God on our side. So what happens? Well, you read through the story here. And the Bible says in verse number 29, after God said, go up, for I'll deliver in my hand, they set up an ambush. They draw out a few people with 30-some people. And the, the, the Benjamites are going after him, thinking we got him again. And while they draw him out of their hiding, they come around and they conquer him with this ambush. They give themselves space to attack and God grants them the victory. The men of the ambush, in verse 37, smote all the city with the edge of the sword. The Benjamites thought they were winning, but in fact they have lost, in verse 40 and 41. Then verses 42 through 47, Israel turns on the Benjamin army and victory is complete. I thought this was interesting, though, because Guzik actually brought this out. The strategy used by the tribes of Israel against Gibeah was remarkably similar to the strategy used in Ai, in Joshua 8. And he says this, perhaps, perhaps, we don't know this to be true, but perhaps these people got back into the word of God and found out what Joshua had done in the past. And I think it's interesting today that in the course of our repentance, may we also return to God's word. May we fast. May we pray. May we repent of our sin. May we confess our sin. May we intercede through Jesus Christ and allow him to go to the Father for us. And may we also get back into the word of God again. May we let it guide us and direct our steps. Psalms 139-33. Order my steps in thy word. Illuminate our path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It makes us wise in Psalms 119, 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Several years, several months ago, or weeks ago, I, I sold a calf and the trailer was, was long and a big truck and I knew that it's hard to get them down and turn around. So I said, I'll just bring the calf up top. And uh, so I put this halter on him. All right, let's go calf. You know, he wanted to go every direction that I didn't want him to go. The whole way up. He was all lively when he was going his way. But when it wanted to go the way I wanted to go, it was like, you know, pushing him up. May I say, that's what the word of God should be for us, that halter. Because we're not careful our selfish desires, our selfish uh, 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 temptations, snares, lust, will go all over the place. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and on his word, 
It helps like that halter keep us right where we need to go. And so we see God gives victory. But then last of all, as I wrap things up, I want us to see number five. Israel's unjust slaughter. So what happens here? I wish I could stop with number four. But there's two verses left in this chapter that we've got to hit. Verse 47, but 600 men turned and fled to the wilderness unto the rock rim and, and abode in the rock rim in four months. And the men of Israel turned again upon the children of Benjamin and smote them with the edge of the sword. Not just Gibeah. As well, the men of every city. Now keep in mind, Gibeah was the city that this happened in. But here they strike every city as the beast and all that came to hand. Also they set on fire all the cities that came to this is not justice. This is genocide. What happens here? I think sons of Belial, they need to be dealt with. Even those who came out to fight for them. But every child, every woman, every beast, almost a whole tribe is destroyed. Why? Because though they had gotten God's attention, they'd gotten a little bit too eager. And their flesh got involved again. And we see root of bitterness flowers into vindictiveness. And it starts to eat at him again. And this just shows us that though we can get victory in God, we still have that nasty flesh. We still have that wickedness inside of us that keeps trying to bring up. And may we stay close to God on a daily basis so we can combat that. As Paul says, I die daily. And so we see this morning... The only way to avoid bitterness is to practice forgiveness. Forgiveness is granted before it is felt. Luke 17, 3-6. But we have to also realize how forgiveness is possible. Through God's massive and costly forgiveness of us through Christ. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross, though he did no sin, became sin for us? You realize this morning that you have no hope without Christ because of our sin nature. Our sin is keeping us from God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short, for the wages of sin is death. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are born in sin. And that sin, no matter how good we try to be, is still a part of us. And it is sending us to a place called hell. The wages of sin is death. Do you realize this morning the penalty of your sin is death and hell? And the only way to get victory over it is nothing you can do, but it's all what Jesus Christ did for you. I'll never forget the day when I realized, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. Do you realize this morning that Without Christ, you have no hope. And these people needed a Savior. You say, well, we're not like them. Yes. Yes, we are. We're sinners. We're born in sin. We may not have done everything they've done, but we've still sinned. And we need a Savior. I'll never forget as a boy when I realized the sin was sending me to hell. But Jesus Christ wanted to pay for that sin. So I gloriously invited Jesus into my life, that free gift of salvation. I repented of my way of thinking and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Do you believe that? Have you accepted that? Jesus wants to do that for you today. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe there's someone that would say, Pastor Justin, I, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't realize that I've done wrong and it's keeping me from God. But I want Jesus in my life. I need Jesus in my heart. I need to repent of my way of thinking. I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if Jesus would save me, I would let Him. If I could be, if I could be a child of God, I would love that. I would love a relationship with Christ. How many would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. Will you pray for me this morning? No one's looking around. I won't embarrass you. But if you would like to invite Jesus Christ in your life, would you just slip up your hand real quick? I want to pray for you. Anybody this morning? Say, Pastor Justin, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. But I'll be honest with you. I've been like that Levite before. I've kind of painted pictures with my words. I've left out key things. And it has hurt people. And I've learned today that I'm going to be more truthful in what I say and do. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I will not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone that is like the, the, the uh, uh, Benjamites. You know there's things going around, around you that's not right, but you just kind of let it go. If you're able to, do something about it. I want to say, Pastor Justin, I want to stand for truth. I want to stand for truth and love. I want to stand for truth more in my day and age. If that's you, we slip your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone today that would say, you know, um, Pastor Justin, I, I've been self-reliant. And I realize today that I've just treated God as a name. But I realize today that the true way to Christ and his help in my life is to, is to pray and to fast, spend time with him, spend time in his word. And I want to be grow in my relationship with God. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? If that's you, we slip your hand. I want to pray for you. And then last but not least, maybe some would say, I need to be more submissive to God's leading. I need to allow him to work in my lives. Say no to the flesh. Say no to sin and yes to the Savior. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? That you, we slip up your hand. God bless you, Lord. You see the hands. You know the hearts. I pray that you'll work in our hearts like only you can. Lord, we have this invitation time, not as some tradition or ritual. We have it so people have an opportunity to get along with you, allow you to work in their hearts. I pray that you'll bless this invitation, Lord. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano is going to play. As God has worked in your heart, let me encourage you to respond to him. Maybe you'd like to follow in baptism this morning. Be happy to do that. Maybe you'd like to place your membership here. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you'd like to just come forward and have one of our pastors pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about that. And we want to we want to help you today in any way we can. Maybe you'd like to stay there and pray in your pew. That's fine. May I, we take a moment and reflect on the message and allow it to work in our hearts as God would have it to as the piano plays this morning.
Amen. God bless you. Maybe see that just quickly we have um, we have just a video we want to share with you. But before we do, we have a decision today. Uh, Dominic and Katie Nelson, raise your hand up there. And they want to join the church. They've been through Starting Point and uh, just looking forward to uh, placing their membership here. So all in favor say aye. It carries. Welcome to the family, Nick and Katie. We're so excited to get to serve the Lord together and appreciate their love for the Lord and their heart for God's church. And we're so thankful for that. Let's watch a a video today uh, of some upcoming events. And then uh, Brother Cameron will dismiss us. And I'll be out out back uh, looking forward, or in the foyer there, looking forward to, to greeting with you. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a sermon from our high school youth pastor, TJ Gardner. We're gearing up for school to start back up and are planning a back-to-school Sunday on August 27th at 11 a.m. On the special day, we'll have inflatables for the kids and backpack giveaways. If you would like to contribute school supplies, we will be accepting donations to be given away to public schools in our area. If you are interested in donating to aid and scholarships for Grandview Christian Academy, you can give online at grandviewcares.com forward slash give. Awanas will be starting back up on Wednesday, September 6th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun-themed nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awanas is for children 2 years old through 5th grade. And there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the children already has a uniform. Our Level Up Teaching and Training modules will be held next Sunday night, August 27th during the 5 p.m. service. Come and choose two modules on various topics from the lineup. Don't miss the special time of training with something new for every Christian. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. And let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you've done today, God, all over this campus. Your love was shared. Your Bible was preached. And Lord, I pray that you would use it to work on hearts even now. And that as we leave and as we get into our cars and as we head home to our respective neighborhoods, that you, Father, would work through us to make a difference in our area for you. We'll give you the honor and praise for what you do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.